This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Monday, August 22, 2016. I'm Caleb Brown. Twenty years since the landmark welfare reform of 1996, what do we know about success and failure, and how should we think about reform going forward? Michael Tanner is a senior fellow at the Cato Institute. Tanner kicked off today's conference on welfare reform in the F.A. Hayek Auditorium. Nobody that I know of, left or right, believes that the official census measurement of poverty is a good measure of poverty. It, in fact, uh, I think you'll find almost unanimous agreement that it is about as bad a poverty measurement as you're going to find. Uh, it doesn't cover either benefits or taxes in many ways. Remember I talked about that there's this shift from cash benefits to in-kind benefits. The official census number doesn't count in-kind benefits. It only counts cash income. So let's say somebody was below the poverty line and they received free housing, they get food stamps, they get a number of other types of government benefits that actually raises their standard of living above the poverty line, the official census number would consider them still to be poor. It also doesn't necessarily cover taxes, so you could have somebody who was above the poverty line as far as their income goes, but their take-home pay would take them below the poverty line, and we'd consider them not poor. So it's it's just a bad measurement all the way around. Much better are some of the alternative poverty measures. Census Bureau has its own uh, alternative poverty measure. And a number of social scientists have developed poverty measures as well that take these sort of benefits into account. And I think they do a much better job of measuring poverty. One that we like particularly here is the Myers-Sullivan Supplementary Poverty Measure. And and we sort of look at that uh, because it does take into account the value of non-cash benefits that individuals receive. Uh, we think it's a much better measure. And here, once again, this is the brown line is the measurement you see there. And there again, after what we see that there was a trend downward from the war on poverty downward, you see there was a trend uh, downward in terms of poverty. And that trend continued after welfare reform sort of in the same way that was going on before. It's not that welfare reform kicked in and then there was a sudden decline in poverty, but welfare reform doesn't seem to have interrupted that decline and then that begins to level out uh, around the short round year 2000 and becomes flat thereafter. Doesn't seem to have ticked up particularly large in terms of the recession either, but it seems to have been fairly flat uh, going forward. Uh, at the same time, spending continues to increase. So what you see here is that you don't necessarily see marginal improvements in the poverty rate compared to marginal increases in spending. We continue to spend more money and don't necessarily receive a big bang for your buck in terms of reducing poverty levels here. But we also didn't see any of the bad things that were predicted to happen out of welfare reform in the sense that I don't see any spike of a million more people falling into poverty on either the official measure or the alternative measure showing up that lots of people were thrown into poverty. So, po- so in terms of all the bad things that were supposed to happen, don't see them happening. But don't see any huge good things either. Don't see a lot of people moving out of poverty. Don't see a lot, see marginal increase in terms of the productivity for the spending either. I want to just raise it, moving away from sort of the, the numbers of this, I want to also look a little bit at what people think about poverty and about welfare system, about welfare reform. And here I'm going to look to a, a survey that just came out, it was done by the LA Times along with our friends from the American Enterprise Institute. Uh, And they asked some questions here, and they asked, for example, what impact have government anti-poverty programs had? Uh, And they asked people who were below the poverty level, the actual poor, which I think is a great idea, actually asking the poor how they feel about programs for the poor, uh, that we tend to neglect that. 
uh, and uh, as well as people who are above the poverty level. And one of the interesting things here is that people who said that they made it worse, 40% of poor people thought that the welfare system makes poverty worse. So that would suggest that the people who this is supposed to help don't think a whole lot is helping them. In fact, among poor people, the number who say it's made a big improvement in their lives, only about 8% think it's really making the system better. Uh, so clearly, if you go to the people who are the supposed beneficiaries of our welfare system, they're not all that fond of it. Uh, they don't think it's all that great. And in fact, uh, when you ask them, do benefits give people a chance to stand on their own two feet and get started again, which is, I think, what we want to see out of a welfare program, gives people an opportunity to rise up, or do we think it's just, you know, that's likely to make them dependent? Uh, if you ask the poor, 41% of the people who are in poverty think that welfare encourages people to remain dependent. And only 41% thinks it gives them a chance to get out. It's equal. So you see, that's an awful high number, I think, in terms of people who are poor, who don't think that welfare benefits them, who think that it actually encourages people to stay in poverty, doesn't think it helps people to get the mobility and get out of poverty that we think it should. Uh, we also had, they also asked, uh, you know, if government was spending, if money was no object, if government was willing to spend whatever it took, do you think they'd get people out of poverty? Because that's, you know, we often hear that. If we only spent more money, if this, this program was only bigger, if we only had another program, 100's not enough, we need 101. You know, the trillion dollars is not enough if we only spent 2 trillion or whatever. Well, we asked them again, people below the poverty line, 71% of them thought that, no. Even if government spent an unlimited amount of money, it wouldn't necessarily do away with poverty. <laughs> and when asked who was had have the responsibility for getting them out of poverty. Very interesting that government, only 31% of poor people themselves thought that government had the responsibility to help them get out of poverty. That's a plurality, but if you look at all the areas, the poor themselves, 13%, family, 11%, the church, surprising high, 24%, private charity, 11%. People basically don't want if they're poor, to rely on the government. They don't think it does a particularly good job. So if we're spending more money than ever before, not seeing any particularly good results, and even the beneficiaries think we're doing a bad job and we should be looking elsewhere, one has to wonder if this has been a huge success. Let me close with some questions that I think everyone should keep in mind. And also, I hope, you know, maybe we'll see some of this touched on in the panels to come. But there are just some things that I think the audience generally should be looking at. One of these is, what is poverty? How we think about wh how, whether people are poor or not is going to have a great deal of impact on what we think we should do about poverty. I mean, should we be talking about absolute poverty? I mean, sort of an absolute number that we don't want anyone to fall before? Are we talking about no one should starve? You know, I mean, I know there's some folks, some other think tanks that talk a lot about, well, everybody's got a television and a cell phone, so therefore there's no poverty in America. Well, but is that, you know, is that really true? Is that really how we want to measure? You know, we're not South Sudan, hooray, that, you know, 
Is that really how we want to measure poverty? On the other hand, a lot of places measure relative poverty. How poor are people compared to rich people? And it's sort of a measure of inequality. But if you choose relative measures of poverty, you're never going to end poverty. You know, if you doubled everybody's income, it would be a wonderful thing in terms of absolute poverty. Think of all the people you'd get out of poverty if you doubled everybody's income. You wouldn't change relative poverty at all, though, would you? So the question is, when we target these programs, when we do welfare reform, when we have a government program designed to lift people out of poverty, are we targeting absolute poverty? Or are we trying to deal with relative poverty and trying to make people more equal? I mean, is inequality the issue? Or is poverty the issue? And which of those should we be targeting in terms of our programs? Along the same lines, what is the goal of a welfare program and of welfare reform? Is it simply to reduce deprivation? Are we trying to make poverty less uncomfortable? Are we satisfied if someone is still poor, but they don't go hungry? Seems to me like it's a good thing to do if we can reduce deprivation, if we can stop people from starving. I'm all for that. But should we then rest on our laurels and say we've accomplished what we set out to accomplish? Or should we instead be trying to reduce poverty itself? Do we want to have fewer poor people? Do we want to have people less dependent on government? Do we want to increase mobility so that people who are born poor or their children who are born poor are able to rise out of poverty? And if we want to do the latter, are we accomplishing that with the programs we have? Did welfare reform do anything to accomplish that? Actually, if you look at some of the work by Ross Chetty and others, what we find is that economic mobility is pretty much where it was before welfare reform, and for that matter, before the war on poverty itself. So have we really done anything in terms of helping to get people out of poverty with welfare reform or with welfare to begin with? I think we also need to look and raise the question in terms of designing our programs around what we think is the reason why people are poor. And this was a huge debate within the welfare reform debate. Are people poor because of structural issues? Does it have to do with our economy and the way our economy works? Is that what causes poverty? Is it because of the legacy we have in this country of racism and sexism? And Lord knows we have treated people of color and women deplorably over the history of our country. What impact does that have on why people are poor? Or is poverty something that's caused by culture or individual behavior? Is it that people have made bad choices in their life? We know, for example, that if you drop out of school, you're much more likely to be poor. If you get pregnant and you're not married, you're much more likely to be poor. If you don't have a job, you're much more likely to be poor, and so on. How much of that is due to choices that people make. Now, personally, I think it's a little bit of both of these things. I think that you can't deny the structural problems in our society of race and gender and so on. 
But I also think people are not, you know, they do have agency. They're not blown about by the wind, totally deprived of choice, totally unable to make decisions in their life, totally subject to the structures of society. People are able to make their own decisions. They are free agents. They can make choices that make a difference in their lives. And some people who are born under the worst of circumstances rise above them. On the other hand, as much as we can say that people make bad choices sometimes, it's impossible to place those choices outside of the context in which they are made. You cannot take an inner-city African-American child who has to live with all that goes on in terms of lousy schools and police abuses and general racism every day in society and say, okay, now's the time to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. I don't think any of those things is true. But in terms of welfare reform, it matters a great deal which of those two things you emphasize. If you emphasize the structural problems to society, you're going to go one way in terms of reforms. If you emphasize the behavioral choices and the incentives that are created by welfare in terms of behavioral choices. If you pay somebody not to work, they're less likely to work. If you pay somebody to have children, they're more likely to have children and so on. That makes a difference as well. How do you merge those two things? And part of that is with a long-running debate that goes all the way back to the Elizabethan poor laws and beyond about the deserving and the undeserving poor. We all want to help people we think deserve our help, widows and orphans and so on historically. But we also have people we think, well, they could really not be poor if they only did things behave differently. And I don't know if we want to help them. You know, we walk by them on the street all the time here in DC. I say that goes all the way back, Elizabethan poor laws, we talked about you could help widows and orphans, but sturdy vagabonds, as they were called then, uh, could be whipped out of town for begging. Welfare reform again. It had a lot to do with how you saw those things. Did you see people who were poor as being poor not because of their behavior, but because of circumstances outside their control? Or did you see them poor because they did things in ways that contributed to their own poverty? And how then do you respond to that? Do you incentivize? Do you change incentives? Do you try to change behavior? How do you respond to all of that? I think that that matters a great deal in terms of how you look at welfare reform. And finally, there's issues outside of welfare that I think we need to address if you're going to have an impact on welfare reform. <laughs> Criminal justice reform. I don't think there's any possible way to deal with poverty in this country unless you deal with the criminal justice system and its abuses. The fact is, if you steal millions of young black men out of the society because they are in jail or on probation, they have a criminal record that makes it impossible to get a job, they're constantly harassed, you are not going to be able to reduce poverty. What about education? The fact that our public school system is a failure in the inner city and doesn't educate millions of children, that it's more responsive to the teachers unions and the special interests than it is to children and parents, traps millions of children in poverty. Jobs and economic growth. We know that less than 3% of people who work full time live below the poverty level. There really is no better way out of poverty, no better welfare reform than getting a job. 
Michael Tanner is a senior fellow at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to this podcast at iTunes, Google Play, and with Cato's iOS app, and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.